The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 241 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is accessibility for family caregivers with special needs. Special needs are the challenges experienced by individuals with disabilities. The challenges associated with a family member's disabilities so often involve not only the individual family member, but also the family as a whole and the family caregiver. The challenges so often involve overcoming barriers. And sometimes the barriers are visible and obvious. But sometimes the visible, the the barriers are not so visible. Perhaps so much so that they're obvious only to the individual family member and to the family and to the family caregiver. The invisible barriers include lack of understanding on the part of others, very troubling barriers for the individual with the special needs like fear of the individual, stigmatization of the individual, discrimination against the individual, and exclusion of the individual. So creating accessibility often means overcoming barriers to the individual and to the family and to the family caregiver who all need understanding and help from the wider community which is why our topic today, accessibility for family caregivers with special needs, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Diana Simpson and Rabia Keller. Diana graduated from the University of Waterloo with an Honours BA in Recreation, the cooperative program. Her career includes therapeutic recreation specialist in hospital settings and continuing care and rehabilitative services. She joined the city of Mississauga as a recreational analyst, seniors programs, where she led the formation of a program called Next Step to Active Living, which was a day program for adults with physical disabilities. In 2003, she moved to the city's facilities and property management, where she works closely with the Accessibility Advisory Committee, which is a committee of council, and she coordinates and helps coordinate the city's accessibility plan. Rabia chairs the City of Mississauga Accessibility Advisory Committee, and she also sits on the Ontario Women's Health Network Board. She's a human rights trainer and consultant with her own company, Diversity Works. She's executive director of the Canadian Association of Muslims with Disabilities and a board member of the Federation of Muslim Women. 
She's active in in raising awareness about disability issues, women's rights, and Islamophobia. She's a recipient of the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. She's mother of four and recently completed her MA at York University. So welcome to the show, Diana and Rabia. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'd like to start with Diana, please. Just tell us more about your career and also about your own experience with family caregiving. Diana? Yes. Okay, yeah. I guess my career, how I got into, I guess, the whole field of accessibility and disability was as working as a recreation therapist that was mentioned in the intro. And that's where I learned that the family is so important in um, an individual's recovery and um, and really their quality of life as they are a resident or a patient in the hospital and then when they move from the hospital setting into the home setting. And then further to that, working in the municipal setting, so going from healthcare to a municipal setting where I worked with seniors and uh, with, with a lot of programs to ensure that seniors remain active and how important that is for their own uh, health and well-being and in turn the health and well-being of the family. And then after that, as was mentioned, as the accessibility coordinator, which is really about removing barriers to all our services, our programs, our facilities, our policies, our practices um, within the city of Mississauga. So, you know, I really have been working around the field of disability accessibility for many years. And then, yeah, and then to talk about my own personal experience, I guess, with uh, family caregiving, certainly in the hospital setting and working with families and patients and residents, but Also, uh, my mother, who had a heart attack about five years ago, uh, knowing how important it was for her to have my father around to assist her in that whole recovery process. And then also uh, my uncle, who has uh, Alzheimer's, who lives alone in Florida, and trying to do caregiving from a long distance has been a challenge and has been very interesting. So those are my, my two personal experiences. Right. Now, Rabbi, I'm going to ask you exactly the same question. Tell us more, please, about your career and your own experience with family caregiving. Rabia? Well, as a uh, person, you know, with a disability who has family members with disabilities, I have substantial lived experience in uh, you know, in one sense, receiving some services and on the other hand, actually coordinating access to services for family uh, members who have pretty diverse and high needs. I have adult brothers with intellectual disabilities and I'm the older of the pack. So I have um, often, you know, I've, I've been the one who's advocated for their needs and ensured that my mother, as their primary caregiver, has the services and supports that she needs. Um, but also, in my more broadly in my work as a consultant, as a researcher, community-based researcher, I've often been involved in hearing people's journeys, documenting those journeys, and making recommendations to systems and structures to better respond to diverse needs. Diana, please tell us about your work with the City of Mississauga's Accessibility Advisory Committee. Okay. Um, I've worked with the committee for about 10 years, 
And the committee itself consists of people with disabilities, with different disabilities, and two counselors. And it's a committee of counsel. So we make recommendations to counsel, uh, basically about how we uh, feel or how the committee feels um, we need to remove barriers uh, within all our services and programs. Um, so the value of working with a committee like that, and Rabia being our chair, um, and herself, ha who has a disability, she is blind, and uh, chairs meetings very well. I mean, just the fact that we have a room full of people with different disabilities is so helpful to us because they can tell us about their life experiences and the things that are true barriers to them every day that they function. And so that helps us to set our priorities. Um, their other role is to ensure that we're meeting the uh, standards that are dictated to us by the province. We have some new legislation and some provincial laws and accessibility standards, and there are certain requirements that we need to meet uh, and certain deadlines. And they're really good at Giving us feedback, for example, on training, is the training adequate? Does it really hit the needs that we think we need to train our staff on? Um, we've developed subcommittees of that Accessibility Advisory Committee. One is very helpful where they review plans, project plans, building plans, uh, whether it be for a park, a trail, a community center, an arena, um, to ensure that we're building uh, according to accessibility. Now, I'm going to go basically to um, the same question with Rabia, but I want you to tell us, please, about your company. You own a business called Diversity Works. Please tell us about that and the work you do with that. Well, I, I take on many, many interesting projects, and I guess specifically around caregivers, one of the projects I took on uh, a while back was with uh, Providence Healthcare, who wanted to ensure that they were better meeting the needs of persons with disabilities in, in very uh, ethno-specific communities and, and reaching out to diverse faith groups, and, and we undertook a whole community consultation process where you know, we, we talk to on-the-ground experts or key informants. We held uh, consultation meetings with broader community to seek input and, and, and advice and formulated a report with a set of recommendations in order to make their services more responsive to non-Catholic, non-traditional communities and families. Um, so I, I end up doing a lot of work around awareness raising. I, I speak at conferences and, and events, and I engage on on, on committees and, and in uh, you know in, in advisory capacities. I, I, I take on participating in focus groups and this and that to ensure that you know the voices of people with disabilities, their families from diverse communities, are in fact heard at the table where where decisions are being made, where programs are being designed, where policies are being established. Just a very quick supplementary question, please, and that is, what, what should I understand by the word diversity and the well, way you're using it? The, the, way I, the way I use diversity is essentially, um, you know, the, 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 the variety of identity markers that make an individual whole. So I am not just a quote-unquote disabled person. I am a person with a disability who has a race, 
a gender identity, a culture, a language, a faith or non-faith identity. Uh, you know, I, I have a lived experience in terms of age, uh, education, socioeconomic class, family status, etc. And all these elements of who I am make me a whole person and inform my lived experience and my needs. Thank you. That's very helpful. Now, it's time where, where we on this show have to pay the rent. As I often say, we have to take the break. So let's take it now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Diana Simpson and Rambia Keita. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Diana Simpson and Rabia Keda. Our topic is accessibility for family caregivers with special needs. 
Now let's talk about the challenges created by problems of accessibilities for families, family caregivers, and individuals living with special needs. So starting with you, Diana, please, please explain what accessibility actually means and give us an example. Okay, good question. Um, yeah, I mean, we hear terms like barrier-free. Uh, universal design or universal access. But basically what it all means is that people should be able to access the environment freely as and as independently as possible without barriers. That's what accessibility means and that's what it means to me and that's what we're working towards. Um, yeah, and the example would be because I talked about the environment, it's from everything that we do, whether that be where we live so our housing, to how we get around, transportation, whether that be by bus or taxi or parking um, or even walking on the sidewalks and crossing intersections, to employment, ensuring that if you are a person with a disability that your uh, place of work is accessible, and then to recreation and leisure and things you do in your free time. Now, to Rumbia. I, please explain how accessibility, in the way that Diana's just explained it, relates to inclusion for the diverse community. And please give us an example. Well, I think it's important that we step back and, and we also define what, what inclusion actually in its essence means. Oftentimes, um, policymakers and programs and, and services loosely use the word in inclusion as a, uh, interchangeably also with the word integration. Integration means that, you know, there are some preset rules, uh, structures, systems, uh, processes in which we have to exist. So if, regardless of our differences, we have to exist within a cookie cutter that's already determined. Inclusion, on the other hand, means that there may be a cookie cutter, but it's pretty flexible. It can take any shape or form necessary to meet individual needs. So in terms of, um, you know, where, where I would go with this in, in terms of accessibility is essentially that uh, in, uh, the way accessibility ensures inclusion is that we remove barriers, we ensure that there is a level playing field for everybody that uh, concretely, let's say, you know, there's a building and there's a door and there's an entranceway. Uh, a person with a disability does not come through the loading dock. They come through the same entrance the same way as anybody else. And once they step in, they are fully involved, participating, engaged in that setting, regardless of their disability, with their peers with and without disability. Diana, please describe the challenges that problems of accessibility create for families and family caregivers caring for family members with special needs. Diana? Yes. Well, basically, if we don't create an accessible environment, we make life really difficult for everyone, not only for people with disabilities and the family caregivers, the whole family, but for everyone. Um, and we make, yeah, we make life difficult. Um, people have to plan ahead. They have to do a lot of research when they're going out, whether that be, you know, to a building and trying to figure out where they're going to park, if they need accessible parking, 
where the washrooms are. Is the washroom going to be big enough for my husband or wife who uses a, a big wheelchair? Um, from transportation, am I going to have to wait until that accessible bus comes? Or in our case, all our buses are accessible. So by removing barriers and in creating an accessible environment, we make it easier for people. If we don't do that, that's when the challenges and the problems and the barriers come up. Um, so, yeah, so that's basically um, the challenges for people are if, if the environment is not accessible. Right. Now, Rabia, I'm going to ask you to... It's the same question to describe the challenges that problems of accessibility create. But this time, I want you to talk about them in the diverse communities of families and family caregivers caring for family members with special needs. You were talking about getting through the front door. Um, please put that into the context of uh, the challenges to getting through the front door. Rabia? Well, what essentially I'm suggesting is, you know, um, oftentimes we have that basic level of accessibility, but once the person enters into that space or place to access the services, those services only, you know, address the disability dimension, but may not address other elements of their identity that we talked about earlier in terms of recognition that, you know, because of their race, they may not share the same degree of power with everyone else in the room. Because of their cultural tradition, they may not connect with, with the activities and, and atmosphere in, in the space that they have entered into. Um, you know, because of their faith-based beliefs, they may not have, um, you know, they may not feel comfortable participating in some form or other of activities or, you know, the, the, the food and this and that may not meet their needs um, because we haven't given any regard to diverse needs. We've, we've presumed that um, what's good enough for us is good enough for everybody else. And essentially, uh, in terms of caregiving, the step further that I would go to is even in terms of the way that services are designed, um, we are not necessarily responding to diverse family needs that, you know, immigrant families, um, families from different lands and cultures, and, and just sheer economic necessity today, in fact, is, is, is demanding that people live in extended family settings, that the family caregiver is not only a caregiver for the individual with a disability, um, but has a lot of other household responsibilities in order to support you know, the folks that are earning the money and bringing it home to pay the bills, et cetera. And services are designed in a way where they're uh, client-centered, so they're focused on the individual rather than taking into consideration supporting the family caregiver and that the individual with a disability, the family caregiver, um, both are, are, are a part of this bigger family unit, which in fact, you know, then contributes to other challenges if the needs of the family caregiver aren't supported adequately in providing care to the individual with a disability. So I, I hope I'm making sense there. Absolutely. I want to go back to Diana with the very point that you've made, and that is that these are tough times. Mm -hmm. People have to earn their living, and mm -hmm. that includes family caregivers who yeah. are caring for family members or supporting family members. Are, are these factors that you 
encounter in the work you do uh, in providing services in, to increase accessibility. That is the challenges to family caregivers who have to basically bring home the earnings. Diana? I'm not sure what, what you're getting at, um, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Um, so family caregivers, are they being, they're not being paid, right? Ah, let, let me, thank you for asking me about this. What I'm saying is that I understand from what Rabia was saying, and I've encountered this, that very often the family caregiver is a family caregiver at night, but oh. during the day they have to go out and be earn the earn the money that the family needs to survive, yes. and that. It happens with women and it happens with men, and it creates an extremely tough situation, which in the end, and I think Rabia and, and both of you have actually said this, undermines the health of the family caregiver. Diana, yeah. do you encounter those situations? Well, I mean, I have heard about this for sure in the work that I've done. And uh, so someone has to work full-time, as you're saying, to make money um, to live, basically, and yet they're also coordinating the care of their loved one. And often coordinating that care needs to happen during the day. And so taking time out of their busy workday to do that, making calls, and often it's multiple calls and multiple connections. Um, you know, there's, it's not a one-stop shop which uh, I know we've always talked about that we need to have that, but it's a very uh, convoluted, there's services here, there's services there, you have to contact different agencies for different services, so the whole case management process is very complex and time-consuming, and you add that stress onto um, an individual while they're working during the day, and then they have to come home, and they don't get a chance to rest either. So the whole uh, respite is much needed and needs right. to be able to be accessed easily and when needed. Um, so really it's a whole coordination of services that needs to happen. Right. Now, Rabia, I want to ask you a question that also has come to me in a different way, and that is that in many cultures, um, the responsibility of the children for the parent is part of the culture. Um, and that is to say, it's expected of you that we, you will look after your aging parents. And when you're doing, having to also look after the rest of the family by earning the living, as we've been talking about, that seems a very tough thing. Rabia, is that the kind of thing that you also hear about? Absolutely. And, and, you know, taking care of your aging parents with age-related disabilities, taking care of anybody within the family unit that is dependent on care uh, as a result of an illness or a disability, certainly, you know, there, there, there's a huge sense of, of obligation and expectation in, in many, many cultural communities um, far and wide. Um, I think, you know, in, 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 in the urban context, I think, you know, even in Eurocentric tradition, we've moved beyond, uh, you know, that kind of responsibility to viewing it in more practical senses of, of the individual and looked at caregiving uh, as a different type of function of maybe just the coordination of it as opposed to the provision and we'll outsource it. But in, in, in many, uh, cultural communities, 
that, uh, you know, migrate and, and adjust in, in the settlement process, this is quite the challenging journey. And, and, and they certainly, you know, end up reaching out for, um, you know, again, services and supports that have been established by the dominant culture because that's what seems to support urban lifestyle. But they still, you know, have, have a huge conflict internally in terms of, Feeling a sense of guilt for not having, not being able to facilitate or or, or provide um, care as it has been expected and as it is valued within their uh, culture and and tradition. So. Thanks. That's- I'm going to have to stop you there, unfortunately, because we have to take the break. But that's very, very helpful and very, I think, very important as a theme, perhaps for another episode of this show. Now, it is time for us to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Diana Simpson and Rabia Kader. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CGMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be back. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Listen for the Yoga of Money, creating wealth and abundance for the modern yogi. Host Jeff Bogart is one of a few select financial advisors in the country who fully understands the connection between yoga, money, wealth, and abundance. Jeff offers time-tested advice about growing wealth the smart way, the yoga way. The Yoga of Money bridges the gap between the spiritual and material world. Tune in for The Yoga of Money every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Diana Simpson and Rabia Kedem. Our topic is accessibility for family caregivers with special needs. Now I want to talk about the ways in which your work, both of you, helps overcome challenges by creating, created by problems of accessibility for families, family caregivers and individuals. So Diana, starting with you, 
Please highlight the ways in which the City of Mississauga's Accessibility Advisory Committee helps families, family caregivers and individuals overcome the challenges created for them by problems of accessibility. Diana? Yes. Um, basically, it's, it's the way I've spoken about it before in that the Accessibility Advisory Committee, because they are people living with disability, they assist us in, in letting, letting us know what barriers need to be removed in the community. Um, so they provide input when we're, we're building buildings, when we're renovating buildings. They provide input about programs. Um, one of the examples I heard about is that someone, you know, we do, I, I say in quotes, babysitting for children in our fitness centers so that their parent can go and take a fitness class and be active and involved in the community. We need to do the same thing for family caregivers so that they can come and bring their loved one and know that they'll be well looked after while they can go and maybe swim some lengths in the pool or join a discussion group or do their own recreation so they themselves can feel good about themselves and be contributing members of society um, knowing that their loved one is being looked after. So, um, so yeah, so basically the committee will, will tell us about gaps that exist in the community, gaps in programming, gaps in physical accessibility, and they'll let us know if we're on track, if we are working, you know, the way that we're working towards uh, creating a fully accessible community. Are we on track? Is there more that we can do? When we always know there is more, but they help us sort out where the priorities lie because, let's face it, we don't have lots and lots of money to do all these wonderful things. We have to um, create priorities so that we're doing the right things at the right time. Rabia, please highlight the ways in which the City of Mississauga's Accessibility Advisory Committee, which you chair, helps families, family caregivers, and individuals in the diverse community. Um, what are the particular things that, uh, as chairperson, you pay attention to and what kind of input you receive? Rabia? Again, um, everything that we have on the table, we look at from an inclusion lens. So we look at all those elements of diversity that make a person whole and make sure that just because we're addressing disability-related barriers doesn't mean that we're neglecting some other barriers, that we are, in fact, taking into consideration all the barriers that individuals face. So by looking at transportation, for example, and improving accessibility, which we have achieved, and ensuring that, you know, our, our customer service policies and whatnot are, are responsive uh, to, to all needs, we are then in turn uh, making it easier for family caregivers, families and individuals with disabilities to be full and active citizens in their communities by having access to city-provided services. Um, so we continually raise awareness, we com continually provide input, we conti continually remind everyone to look at our human rights tradition, our pro prohibited grounds of discrimination, and make sure that when we are addressing accessibility in terms of disability that we are also looking at all the other identity markers uh, that individuals uh, and, and their experiences uh, uh, may result in barriers. Going to Diana now, I'm turning things around. We've been talking about the help that the committee, the Accessibility Advisory Committee, gives 
um, to people and individuals. Mm-hmm. Let me now ask you, what kind of input and help do you receive from the families, the family caregivers and the individuals, um, in guiding you on your work with the committee? Diana? Um, yes, I get, I get calls, I get emails from people in the community, and some of these people are family caregivers, about uh, the improvements that need to happen. So it could be if someone is uh, crossing a street and uh, there's a big lip at the intersection and uh, they're having trouble um, getting the wheelchair across the street because of that. So I'll get, you know, little calls about that that are, are things that we need to make improvements are on. As well, if the traffic signal at a very busy intersection, let's face it, we're still about the car, um, and the traffic signal doesn't give the person enough time to cross, then they'll let us know, and we'll look at that intersection and lengthen the time for someone to cross, or if a a particular intersection needs an audible signal. So really it's about getting feedback from the people out there about um, the physical changes that need to happen, but then again I go back to the programs. Where are the gaps in programming? And uh, we actually have a feedback form on our website we receive information in all different ways. So even if somebody, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, I need to tell the city about a, a certain barrier, they can get on the email and send us an email, um, you know, while it's fresh in their mind or they need to just release that information. So there's many ways we, we get that information from the public and we try to follow up as much as possible in a personal manner to that individual and make those improvements, whether it can be done um, in the short term or in the long term. Rabia, it's the same question but angled a little bit differently, and that is this. this. People who are relatively new to our country may not be as enthusiastic about um, giving advice or calling for things to change, Um, perhaps because of previous experience, perhaps because they don't know the system well enough. And so my question to you is, what kind of help do you want to see from the what we'll call the diverse community um, for the committee so that things that the committee is doing reflect their needs uh, as well as everybody else's. Rabia? Well, me as, you know, I choose to identify myself as a uh, Muslim Punjabi Pakistani Canadian woman who's a wife, a mother, a sibling of individuals with disabilities, a, a daughter of aging parents, yada, 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 and happen to have a disability. I, I bring that holistic perspective to the table constantly. But through my other involvements in the community, through through my role as the executive director of CAMD, Canadian Association of Muslims with Disabilities, through my past experience with Urdco, Ethno-Racial People with Disabilities Coalition of Ontario, and other family networks and groups that I've been connected to and involved with, uh, particularly around uh, parents of individuals with intellectual disabilities, um, I, I certainly am in tuned with the challenges out there and listen to people's voices and ensure that I bring those voices to the table when we are discussing our uh, policies, procedures, and guidelines around services that the city offers. I just want to ask you a little kind of extra supplementary question on that particular point, and that is that sense of um, more and more 
those of us who aren't in government, aren't chairpersons of committees, and aren't very involved with you know, the formalities of healthcare and administration sometimes feel that there's no way in which we can get the attention of this bureaucracy. Now, I'm not for one moment saying that's the case in Mississauga, but what I am saying is there's sometimes that feeling that they aren't listening. What, what do you have to say about that, Ramya? Well, because, uh, you know, our, our committee is very unique. We are actually a very unique model in terms of how we approach accessibility planning at a municipal level. Um, and, and many other organizations or institutions that are obligated to uh, undertake a planning process don't necessarily have as reflective a uh, group of individuals on the committee as we do. What's unique about us is uh, many of us are people with disabilities. Some of us are stakeholder members affiliated with organizations uh, specific to seniors' issues or specific to intellectual disability or specific to the needs of deaf uh, individuals. Um, all of that combined is at the table along with representatives from each uh, staff uh, area or department throughout the city. So we really bring together a unique group. We also um, have requests from the community come forth to make a presentation to us or a deputation, and we welcome those. Uh, we try to get out there in the community when opportunity presents itself so that we can uh, engage with our residents and, and hear their issues and concerns and, and share experiences with them. We also go out and participate uh, with other individuals working around accessibility so that we can share what we're doing and we can learn from what they're, uh, what they're doing. So we are constantly um, uh, seeking out ways to uh, ensure that we are on the ground uh, listening, hearing, uh, and, and raising awareness all around. So I, I would certainly suggest that uh, we are very much so in tune with the issues. And on a personal note, I always empower people to bring issues forward. Uh, if we don't empower people to bring their issues and concerns forward, then, then change is not probable. So, um, you know, I, I believe that we have good systems and structures and, 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 and the fact that we have the right to voice for more and make them even better, and that's where empowering um, families and individuals to speak for themselves is really, really important. And you raised a very important point that people, when they come from diverse com uh, uh, communities from and, and have recently gone through the migration process, they may not know the system. They may not think that their voice will be heard. They also may not feel that they have the right to have their voice heard. They often feel that, you know, who are they to challenge the system, um, that they don't have those kinds of citizenship rights because they didn't enjoy those kinds of citizenship rights in their places of origin. So it, it's our job, those of us that have some power and, and privilege in the system, to make sure that we do empower people to know their rights and, and take responsibility to engage at these levels. Right. A very responsive committee is what you both are working with. Now, it's time for us to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Larry, and my guests are Diana Simpson and Rabia Bukera. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. 
what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host. For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Which voice do you hear? The voice of your ego or the voice of your spirit? The one you listen to can determine your entire future, your decisions, your existence. Listen to Two Voices with Dr. Nick and Reverend Linda Martin. We'll identify, discover, and explore your two voices and help you to determine how they shape your life. It's an experience which can allow you to transform your ego, hear the voice of spirit more clearly, and create the life you were meant to live. Two Voices is heard Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in to the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Vasily. Radio to thrive by. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Diana Simpson and Rabia Keda. Our topic is accessibility for family caregivers with special needs. I want now to talk with both of you about the things you would like to do and see done to improve ways for helping the people we've been talking about, the people, family caregivers, the people with special needs. Um, so starting with you, Diana, what more would you like to see done by society generally to improve ways for helping families, family caregivers, and individuals living with special needs? Diana? Yeah, I think generally, and I know I'm very biased, is that I think that all services, businesses, whether they be public or private, need to make accessibility a priority. And it needs to be accessibility planning needs to be incorporated into plans right in the initial stages, not halfway through, not when it's done and you have to go back and change things, but right at the initial stages. It needs to be part of a checklist in your planning process. Um, Which relates to your work as chair of the committee. What more would you like to do through your work as chairperson of the committee, work to help families, family caregivers and individuals, all of them, living with special needs? What more would you like to do? 
I, again, I, I think Diana gave a wonderful example of the type of programming that, that we can support. Um, I, I would love us to, to, you know, get beyond the uh, legislative requirements, which we're, we're pretty well uh, enthralled in and, and, and advancing on in terms of meeting, to, to put our creative, innovative hats on and create, uh, you know, those, those extra enhancements that will support access for family caregivers. So, you know, providing those kinds of respite opportunities where they can come and, and, and you know, sit in the library and read a book and, and have their family member at the same time engage in an activity on site. Um, at the same time, uh, same thing with, you know, other recreational activities, a fitness class, a swim class, um, where, you know, the park facilities are more, more and more accessible to them uh, to take their family members out. And, you know, perhaps there is some uh, even outdoor supervised programming for family members so um, that the caregiver can, can have a break. I would also like to see, and, and this is very selfish of me, but, you know, the caregiver, family caregiver often uh, suggests that there's physical care provided or personal care provided. Um, I'm not the primary caregiver for my brothers, but the coordinating piece, the advocacy piece, the planning piece, um, the filling out the applications and, and working with systems instructors and working with case managers and telling and retelling stories um, falls on me. And to be honest with you, you know, in, in that capacity, I play multiple roles, and those roles can be very challenging in terms of supporting my family and accessing services. Sometimes they may not welcome certain types of services, but things, you know, in, in, have gotten so uh, deep that, it, you know, some significant service intervention is necessary. So I end up being the advocate, the coordinator, the planner, the therapist, and, and still try to play the daughter and the sister role. And, you know, but uh, my role isn't necessarily uh, recognized in, in terms of needing support myself uh, to be able to provide the support that my uh, mother needs as a primary caregiver for my brother. Just a very quick supplementary question, Rebe, to that. What it, what I'm hearing is that you are also the navigator yes. for your families. That's is that right? Um, Diana, I'd yes. like you to tell us your message for families, family caregivers, and family members living with special needs. What's your message, Diana? Uh, my message, I guess, basically is not to isolate themselves. I think it can be very easy to do that when you're struggling and you think you need to be there, you know, 24-7 with, uh, with your, uh, your family member, that it's really important to take time for yourself, and they probably hear this over and over, but really to do that and to take time for your own health, both your mental health and your physical health, and to talk about the struggles not to stay home and, and try to navigate the system on your own, but to talk about others, because uh, talk with others about the struggles, because that's often when we can problem-solve with others, we feel like we're not alone in the struggles, and, and then we learn about all the wonderful services that are out there, and then understand the role we may have in providing feedback to those agencies and services and municipalities. Right. Rabia, I want to hear, have you share your message with us 
Same thing for families, family caregivers and family members living with special needs. Your message. Again, you know, for particularly for diverse communities, for families from certain ethnocultural linguistic groups, it, it's a tremendous challenge uh, sharing their, their 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 caregiving responsibilities with others. But I really, really encourage families to reach out to connect to, to bond with other families who 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 share in their values and traditions, and and you know seek out that peer support because. Peer support can be very, very empowering. Peer support, as you know, to reiterate what Diana has said, it provides a, an opportunity uh, to share what services are out there, what works, what doesn't work, how to improve what's out there, and just being able to offload to somebody your, um, you know, your your challenges, your your struggles, your feelings. Uh, without a sense of guilt because the other person's sharing that same experience within their family context is, is tremendously em- empowering and, and certainly contributes to wellness. So caregivers often face <laughs> caregiver burnout and, and all kinds of you know, m- mental health types of challenges because they are so overextending themselves in being the super family member, the super person. Uh, that, you know, they don't take that time, and, and particularly from diverse communities, they don't feel that they should share uh, their challenges with others because they don't want people to think that they're bearing a, a, an unfortunate burden. They don't want pity. So I, I, again, encourage families to reach out and tap into networks. Um, I'm big on building those kinds of networks for families uh, around uh, you know, linguistic groups, faith groups, cultural groups, to really support them in sharing their challenges and experiences because it is extremely empowering, and I want them to remember that. Uh, great message, both of you. Now, unfortunately, we have to come to a close on this episode. It's been wonderful hearing you both. So thank you both to Dan and Rabiat for sharing the experience, your insights, and your advice. And I want to wish you both every success in your work because it matters. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on the episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about topics, ideas for topics, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Keys to Resilience, Building Connections, Love and Hope. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. See you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful.